Hello, my name is Michael Diedrich, and I'm here with Michael McPherson. We are co-hosts of the Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 radio show, which is broadcast on KODX 96.9 FM. Uh, as members of Veterans for Peace, I'd like to read our statement of purpose. We, having dutifully served our nation, do hereby affirm our greater responsibility to serve the cause of world peace. To this end, we will work with others to increase public awareness of the cost of war, to restrain our government from interviewing overtly and covertly in the internal affairs of other nations, to end the arms race and to reduce and eventually eliminate nuclear weapons, to seek justice for veterans and victims of war, to abolish war as an instrument of national policy. To achieve these goals, members of Veterans for Peace pledge to use nonviolent means and to maintain an organization that is both democratic and open we welcome veterans and non-veterans who support our goals. Uh, this radio program is going to be on military sexual trauma and assault, uh, sexual assault in the military. And with us today are our guests, uh, Aurora Child, Al Clusty, and Kelly Wadsworth. And uh, we're going to sort of start, start off... Uh, um, you can uh, tell us your, basically, your... your your relationship with um, the military and sexual trauma and and uh, the the issue of short introduction um aurora can you uh, are you ready to start uh talking yeah hey mike how's it going nice to hear you yeah it's good to see you um and hear you um yeah i can give a little inform i can give a lot of information about that actually um so i'll just start with um I'm 37 years old. I was in the Navy for um, five years uh, in 2001 to 2006. Um, and my, I you know this is such a heavy topic to just jump right into, but um, right away in the military, I noticed the sexual atmosphere was really, um, you know, rife. Like a lot of, it's, it's like college. Like a lot of people are getting out of wherever they're coming from and going in and then kind of going crazy, you know, a lot of young people. And um, that was my, the first thing I noticed really was that there was uh, just a lot of sexual tension whenever I joined the, the Navy right away. And then being a female, um, being targeted by that sexual tension um, constantly, uh, just like for me what i always say about the navy is that we had this uniform where it was like the people who were designated female had to wear a different uniform um and there's so few females that we really stood out for that for having a different uniform um i always call it the vagina hat because that's pretty much what it was it's like all the men are going to wear one hat and the women are going to wear another hat and you're in a sea of 5,000 men, you can be the only woman. And it's just like you have this target on your head. Um, and so for me, it was harassment that really started the, uh, the, the trauma and just getting constantly harassed um, and it being just normal, like something that I'm supposed to expect. Um, and uh, there was a time when I was even really upset about uh, the atmosphere. I'd been in a couple years and I was in therapy for it. And my therapist was even like, you should be flattered, you know, that I was getting all this attention. And for me, that was actually 
just a big moment where I knew I wasn't going to be able to stay in the military because they didn't understand. Um, and I didn't understand at the time either. Um, but it just got worse and worse actually. And, um, eventually I was stationed with some Marines in China Lake and I was sexually assaulted by a Marine in my sleep. And this is like, uh, the first time I'd been physically assaulted. Um, and the way the military deals with stuff like that, it's like you try to report it, but, but you can't really, nobody wants you to report it and you're going to get everybody in trouble. And that's pretty much what happened with me and the Marines. It was a lot better for my own interest to just remain silent. And that was made clear to me. But in a lot of other incidents that I tried to report, it was the same thing where uh, something happens, especially if it's a officer or higher ranking person and you're lower ranking, um, there's really nothing you can do. They're not going to report it. They're going to intimidate you. Um, <clears throat> and so I went through a lot of, a lot of incidents. Um, and a lot of my friends did too. I, uh, had to help a lot of friends work through being raped and, um, sexually assaulted. And, um, you know, it's a lot of extra work to be doing when you're in the military, but it was, like a couple years after I got out of the military that really occurred to me that rape is a huge part of war. You know, it's, it's a, it's a tool. It's, it's not anything new. Um, the governments of the past and present have used it as a tool of war. And it's something that we don't think about and we don't talk about, but we've been at war for so long and we've had all these veterans coming in and out and going to war. And to me, it's what's affecting the culture is that we don't, um, we don't take veterans and do healing. We don't have ceremony. We don't separate veterans from civilians when they're coming back from war. And we don't talk about rape being a huge tool of war. So um, to me, it's like the military is infecting the culture with, with a rape culture. And it's like a war culture and a rape culture that, that we've got now. <laughs> do you want to jump in? You were waving your hands around, Kelly. No, that was a sign of support for Aurora's sharing because I think she okay. hit the nail on the head. She she yeah. encapsulated the whole problem and the whole culture all in that story that she shared. So that was that was a sign of of support. Like clapping, but you can't yeah. hear clapping on Zoom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Aurora. Uh, let's uh, move on to Al, Al Telesti, and who was, uh, why don't you give a short introduction to Al and uh, your story? Hi, good morning. My uh, name is Alan Telesti. I was in the military 66 to 69, Vietnam 67, 68. Uh, I went in when I was 17, just turned 18 when I got to Vietnam. Uh, I was there about two months, uh, was sexually assaulted. Uh, I was with the 196-198 Light Infantry uh, Brigade, and initially I was still going through training with uh, the tunnel rats. And so uh, that is some of my background where one of the things that happens when, as a tunnel rat that you have to do to survive is you have to eliminate your feelings of compassion and empathy. If you continue to feel that way as you go on, you're going to get killed. So right away, all my Christian stuff, just teachings just went out the window. And so I, I became very existentialist. 
and uh, I, I, I knew that my fate was in my hands. So anyway, I, within five weeks, I got sexually assaulted. Uh, it was at night. Uh, and uh, of all things, the guy had taken off all of his clothes. And uh, uh, when he was crawling on top of me and woke me up, I started screaming for help and yelling, don't kill me. And uh, anyway, he uh, panicked and got out of my bed. Somehow he pulled out my mosquito net and got inside. But anyway, of all things, his wallet fell out of his uh, pants uh, when he grabbed his clothes to run. And so we knew who he was, Dave. We, so we knew who he was. Uh, the next night uh, we got together and uh, uh, we talked about what we were going to do and we were going to kill him. We fragged him. And uh, it took two days, but he got fragged. And uh, what the guys, my partners did, uh, the guys, my partners did is they told me to stay away, stay out of it, because I was, I was pissed. And uh, I was going to get them too. I, I was, I carried weapons all the time when I was in Vietnam. But uh, they told me to stay away from it, because as soon as he got fragged, the first person they were going to look at was me, uh, just because I was the victim. And, and they just said, hey, stay away. We'll, we'll take care of it. And then, like I said, within two days, they got him. Uh, and then they isolated me, transferred me to 9th Infantry Division, and sort of isolated me. And, and it, it was an awful feeling. I was there in Vietnam by myself. I felt alone. I, I, I didn't know anything. I, I didn't know if I was facing murder charges. I, you know, was, like I said, I just turned 18. You know, there's a sexual assault, and that was blew my mind out. Uh, but as we, uh, as the trial went on, it, when I got into the trial, it was all about the sexual assault. There was nothing about the fragging. So it's sort of like, uh, anyway, uh, I think that, uh, and I, well, I still have nightmares. I have one to two a year. And the, the, the content of the nightmares, I, I see somebody stalking me, and I'll wake up screaming and, and uh, sometimes jumping out of bed and, and throwing punches and kicking, roundhouse kicking, and uh, you know, uh, fighting. Uh, I think that was that experience. I, I think the society is large. I'm a small person. When I was in high school, a sophomore, I was 4'10", 75 pounds. Junior, I was 5 feet, 100 pounds. But the safest place for me at times, because of the bullying, was in the principal's office. Uh, the, the guys would try to stuff me in wall lockers, try to stuff me in garbage cans. Uh, I had several fights. Uh, had to step outside and just, you know, I, by the tennis courts, just punch it out with some of the kids. So I, I think it goes way back to there's the bullying that goes on in society, and it's a huge problem. And I don't know if because I'm a small person that, you know, I, I'm a for a predator. I, I'm, I'm a easy. They think I'm an easy victim. Um, I'm not. Uh, but uh, anyway, and it's gone on even uh, within the last 20 years. I, I have an accounting practice, and every year I go to seminars or conventions, and, and during breaks, and especially if there's drinks, I, I've been in groups where 
you know, mostly men, uh, but they'll start touching me and, 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 you know, putting their arms around me. And I, I've, there's been a couple of times where I've just had to tell the guys, get your fucking hands off me, man. I, I got a real issue with this, you know, and here they are accountants. But anyway, so no matter what arena I think we go into, they're there. The predators, we have a president that's a predator. You know, so it, we're, we're just totally surrounded. And I think it's a, the bullying that there is in our society is a huge, huge issue. Um, in my therapy, I've been six years therapy, with not only for sexual assault, but other things that of my experiences in Vietnam. But the uh, issue of forgiveness comes up. And, and I won't forgive the person. I, I, to me, forgiveness is between me and my creator. It's not for me to forgive someone else for what they've done to me or for the bullying people or the predators. I think uh, to forgive them is just giving them a license to continue doing what they're doing. And I, I, they need to be cut off. They need to be stopped. Um, I, some of the feelings I still have is I, I feel guilty about allowing it to happen to me. I, I, I think I saw the guy stop me before he assaulted me. Uh, and so it, the feeling I still have about that is that I could have stopped it. I, I, anyway, I, I feel guilty that I, could, that I didn't do more, but it just happened to me. And uh, for me to come out, I, I didn't talk about it at all for whew, 45 years. I, I can't talk about this with guys, with men, because they don't get it. They don't understand the emotional, the feelings, the trauma that one goes through being sexually assaulted. Uh, I have a couple of female friends that were molested, raped, and, and it just happened that I had mentioned that I'd been sexually assaulted, and then we became close. And so it was the women in my life that I've been able to talk to and for me to express feelings and, and really share with. Um, anyway, and then uh, I'll just go back to the major societal problem we have is the bullying. A lot of bullying going on, man. You know, and I, I, just a huge problem. Well, thanks, Al. We'll get back. It's one of the unre unreported things of military sexual trauma particular but also generally is that, that that women are not the only ones that are no. assaulted and sex, have sexual trauma no so kelly can you give us a little uh, update on your your military experience and uh, your, your experience with military sexual trauma thank you for having me on the show my name is Kelly Wadsworth and I served as an army chaplain reserve and guard from 2001 through 2011. And the first thing I want to do is echo Aurora and Alan's stories and descriptions because they are spot on with what I observed um, in the military. And what I want, I want to share a story that I, I hope will kind of show the ways that this is not just a few bad apples, that it's actually baked into the structure of the military. And so it, that structure encourages the bad apples to then come forth, as opposed to a structure that would really encourage them to uh, remain more um, 
on the fringe as opposed to a center force in our armed forces. Uh, so it, when I first went to basic training, so it was officer basic training for chaplains. So it, it was a, it's its own specific training. So it was my first introduction to the military. And on our first day, the, uh, the trainers who were training us explained and described that there is a rule that we all had to follow because the classroom where we were having our initial training and the barracks where we would sleep were about three blocks apart. So we would walk back and forth and during a lunch break, we would walk back and forth. So uh, there was a rule, a military rule that said you are allowed, you can walk alone. That's permissible. Two people can walk together like side by side, but they have to be different gender. They cannot be male and female. So male and male can walk next to each other and female and female can walk next to each other, but male and female cannot walk together as two people. You can have three people walking together so that there is now two of one gender and one of another. That's permissible. However, if you have three people walking together, you now have to walk in formation. So two of those people have to be marching while the third one is calling out marching orders. So you, you cannot walk in an informal fashion. Once you have three people, you have to, it turns into a formation. This, this was the rule. So every day going to class, coming from class, the, the options were not very good just to do very typical run of the mill, like walking and socializing with my own peers. Like Aurora described, like you're singled out from the beginning for no seemingly good reason. Like it doesn't make any sense. So uh, that, that structure, that separate but equal kind of structure doesn't <coughs> help. It, it makes things worse. Mm -hmm. so, so, so the walking rules, Aurora referred to the uniform rules that the uniforms are somehow different and separate. Like that also doesn't make any sense. Like it's a, it's a place of work. And so your uniform needs to match the job you're doing. Why would you need to have different uniforms? Like it, that, that part doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, there, there has been a history of different PT standards, which is the physical fitness standards that also, um, it, all of those things create a sense of division and otherness. It does the opposite of building camaraderie, which we hear so much about is one of the most important things, the command climate, group cohesion, those things are truly important. So why we would have a number of policies and procedures in place that do the very opposite of that doesn't make any sense. Like we're working against our own best interest by creating kind of subgroups within the group, because that then fosters attacks, rape, isolation, bullying, which in the long run, just call me crazy, but it doesn't seem like that's good for the mission. Like how would, how would a group that lacks cohesion, that lacks trust, how is that going to be good for the mission that squads and battalions are assigned to do when they go to war. Um, so I'll, 
I'll pause there uh, with, and hopefully maybe we can come back to this Aurora call that, uh, that rape is a tool of war and that's absolutely true. So why, why we would create a culture where a tool of war is used against our own people by our own people is, is nonsense. Uh, so so the, the, there's a lot around kind of mission and I think understanding of what we're doing and having clarity in the first place. But I think we're going to get to some of the ideas about um, solutions and better ways to do things soon. So I'll, I'll pause there for now. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, um, Kelly. Uh, Michael, did you want to give some uh, statistical background on on the nature of the problem, uh, or uh, yeah, we just no, um, yes, I do want to give. Okay. So if uh, so, I found you know did a little research. Um, Stars and Stripes did an April thirtieth, twenty twenty article. Uh, rates of sexual assault and harassment reports in the military have increased since last year, according to a Pentagon report that was released the Thursday. Uh, of that month, uh, the week before. Um, just real quick, the Defense Department fiscal year 2019 report on sexual assault in the military said there were 7,825 sexual assault reports involving service members as victims or subjects, a 3% increase compared to 2018. The increase in reports can't be characterized as an increase in assaults, according to the Pentagon, because a separate survey on, pre on, on prevalence is only conducted every other year, so they're not sure. Um, the reports that are restricted were survivors confidentially disclosed an assault without starting an official, if, excuse me, an official investigation saw a 17% increase from last year. Um, the increase shows a clear lack of faith in the chain of command. Uh, that's what Protect Our Defenders said, and that's the organization that's working on uh, protecting um, uh, service members from sexual assault, said in a statement about the report. The military received 1,021 formal sexual assault harassment complaints, a 10% increase from 2018. Uh, so we briefly discussed why is this happening, and, and it was said that maybe the, the military is infecting uh, our society, but I want to pose it. I want to flip that because I really think service members come from the civilian world, and this has been a, a consistent problem in the civilian world. Um, when we say a rape culture, we've had a rape culture for a very long time. One example is with my, I'm an African American person, and during slavery time, uh, it was very common practice for the slave owner to rape the the enslaved women um, on the plantations. Uh, so, you know, we've had this domination because that's what rape is. It's, it's a form of domination. Um, so I feel as if it's part of our, our problem with patriarchy in our country. Um, and just to give a few, a little bit more of some context with just how much of an epidemic is it not only in the military, but in the civilian world, um, there's an organization uh, called RAIN, uh, RAIN, R-A-I-N-N. RAIN stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. So they keep a lot of stats. Um, so I'm just going to give you a few. Um, the rate of sexual assault and rape has fallen 63% since 1993, which is good. Because the first time I looked at, that, at those rates, I couldn't 
believe it, but still just how bad it is. So it's, it fell from a rate of 4.3 assaults per 100 people in 1993 to 1.2 per 100 in 2016. So that's great. However, every 73 seconds, another American is sexually assaulted. It used to be every 60 seconds. So just imagine this falling and then, and just think of that stat every 73 seconds. One out of every six American women has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. One out of six. About 3% of American men, or one in 33, have experienced an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. From 2009 to 2013, Children Protective Service Agency substantiated or found strong evidence to indicate that 63,000 children a year were victims of sexual assault. A majority of child victims are 12 to 17 years old. Of victims under the age of, of 18, 34% of the victims of sexual assault and rape are under the age of 12, and 66% of victims of sexual assault and rape are aged 12 to 17. Um, not to continue on with stats, but just a few more. Um, number of people victimized each year, 80,600 were sexually assaulted uh, or raped or inmates in prison. Children, 60,000 were victims of substantiated or indicated sexual abuse. General public, 433,648. Americans <laughs> older were sexually assaulted or raped. And according to rain in the military, this is each year, about 18,900 experience unwarded sexual contact. And lastly, um, nine of every 10 victims of rape are female. Uh, so that's 90% of, of the sexual assaults um, and rapes are, are, are women. So I really feel as if, I don't know, when, when hasn't this been a problem? Um, male domination. Um, and certainly we know that not just the U.S. military, but militaries throughout history have used rape as, as a tool when they conquer. And, and women have been considered booty, right? So, you know, spoils of war, that's what women have been considered. Uh, so this has been a, a longstanding problem. And I think most Americans push out of their mind that this is even happening either they don't know the extent to which it's happening or or we push it out of our heads and i guess i want to say too the fact that there are so many children um, who face this just really says so much about us as a nation or as a world because it's not even just a u.s problem right it's a global problem where children are facing uh this kind of violence and sexual assault and we, we say we care about kids. We don't give a damn about anything. That's what that says to me. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, there's some questions involving uh, military. And military, as, as we all know, is a very hierarchical, patriarchal, and uh, rules-driven organization. And for that reason, some people have argued that the military is actually in some position to actually do something about military sexual assault, as opposed to the sort of the huge widespread problem as has already been outlined in civilian society. And it's because of that sort of um, hierarchical uh, nature of the military 
that they, they could actually do something about uh, military sexual assault. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Kelly, you've talked about this before. Would you like to sort of uh, <laughs> make some remarks about that sort of uh, uh, what, you know, the military actually, we know what the problem is. What can you do about it? What can the military do about this? Yeah, in 2008, my unit deployed to Iraq. And so I was the battalion chaplain for a battalion that had eight companies. And so my job was to visit regularly all those eight companies. And there's two that stuck out in my mind um, because they, they were integrated companies um, with men and women. And there were two. One had a commander who treated the women very, very differently than the men. So there were two different sets of standards. He was very um, soft and somewhat flirty with the women and, and just very different with the men. And that company had complaint after complaint after complaint coming out of it about uh, harassment and discrimination and assault. I mean, like it was just one problem after another, after another, after another. Uh, because from the command structure, the commander himself wasn't focused on the mission or getting everyone on the same page to focus on the task at hand. There was a second company that had a commander who was very, very even keel. Like he, his day-to-day -day tenor didn't go up an inch. It didn't go down an inch. I mean, he was steady Eddie. Um, and, and at first glance, you know, there was some talk like, boy, he's not very friendly. Like he's not very approachable. But in the long run, that commander created uh, standards that were even across the, the company. Um, and they were, these weren't crazy standards that he had just made up. These were just the basic standards, like showing up on time, having your weapon ready, being ready with your gear, where you need to be at the time you need to be there. Like just, I'm talking like the, just the basics. And he implemented those evenly and fairly across the whole company. And with the expectation that everyone, every soldier under his command had the capability to excel and perform well, like at their highest self. Um, and that company had almost zero reports coming out of it about problems with harassment and assault uh, that they were a much more cohesive group because of the belief and the mentality of the commander setting the tone. So, so that some of, some of my thoughts is I think sometimes the language around this can get very familiar. Uh, but when we think about it, like what would we think if a soldier shot another soldier in order to make them less ready, less combat ready, because at the end of the day, that is the function and the purpose of the military. So if you have one service member essentially taking out and decreasing the fighting force by taking out soldiers, like what would we think about that person? Like what comes to mind for me 
is something more along the lines of treason as opposed to just simply bad behavior. If you are attacking an American service member, you, you are behaving like an enemy. You're behaving like ISIS. And so the question for me is then, why should we not treat you like that also? If you're going to wage war against our own service members, you, you, are, you have shown in your behavior that you are not a member of the unit. It, it would be as if you took a weapon and began just attacking everyone. And I think if we can start thinking about it and treating it like that, as opposed to, oh, just so-and-so is behaving badly, uh, we might begin to get to some of these underlying issues around, around cohesion and, and why we think that we can, that units can do their job, like with, without the full cohesion of the unit, without everyone fully being able to do their jobs and the tasks in front of them. Thank you, Kelly. That's uh, actually very interesting sort of ideas. Can uh, uh, Aurora or Al go ahead and jump in if you want to comment on uh, Kelly's remarks? Following up what uh, Kelly said about uh, in my situation, there weren't any women. I was in the field. But anyway, uh, okay, I was sexually assaulted. I numbed out. I, I, was, I wasn't worth anything for days. And then at the same time, we fragged days. So they're like, suddenly have, there's only like 15, 16 of us in the unit. And suddenly that's two less, which put a tremendous burden on the rest of the people. So, I mean, in my situation, two of us, not one, but two of us uh, were taken out of action. I think it's a great point too. I saw just a lot of energy and a lot of time uh, go to these sorts of incidents and not in the right way where it's like what Kelly was saying where um, the person doing the thing is sort of dismissed and the person who has been assaulted is the one that, that from my experience becomes the, the target really because they're saying something. They're the one causing trouble, you know, because they're reporting something. That's often the case uh, with women. Um, and there is just um, no accountability. There's no real accountability anyway. And um, I think this happens in society as well as the military that people, I guess, really don't know what to do and they don't want to think about it. So they don't. Um, and I mean, we can't, we can't ever figure these situations out without talking about them. Um, I think that also the, the, uh, like the, it's like a gender situation too, where we have, uh, just the different gender roles and everything taught to us from birth and then trying to be in the military with that social conditioning is, is really difficult because we're not viewed as the same and we don't view each other as the same. And, um, and I think that even if it's all men, someone who has more feminine characteristics can become that target. And I saw that in the military too and heard that from male bodied friends that had been assaulted is that they were the most feminine person around. And so then they were assaulted even though they were still a man. Um, and so, yeah, it is, uh, it's a deeply disturbing patriarchal 
issue. And I, and I think we still hear a lot of these attitudes about rape and the military, especially where people say, especially with a woman joining the military, like, well, what was she expecting, you know, like to go and join the military and be around all those men and, and not get raped, you know? And, um, and so that's, that's really the attitude that a lot of people do have is that it's just standard. It just happens and you get over it. And, and, you know, that's probably the rapists that are the ones thinking like that and talking like that. But we, we definitely have a problem. Um, because it's, it is like everybody's saying, it, it, it's divisive. It doesn't create trust. It doesn't create a cohesive unit. And people can't work together when that stuff's happening. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I just wanted to, I think Alan and Aurora, well, all three, when you really look at our society, we have a society, unfortunately, that works on a principle of domination, right? So I don't, I think, and, and war is that. I mean, that's the whole purpose of war. That's what you go do, right? When you, when you fight the enemy, you, you are trying to dominate them. Um, you're trying to destroy them. You're trying to break their spirit. So when you have that kind of culture, and I'm not saying that, um, I don't know if you can have a military which doesn't have a strong element of this in it. Now, when I say this, I mean the domination. And then when, when, when the principal domination are men, the ones that do the dominating, and as Aurora was just saying about how we separate men from women, and so who is the person or who are the people who are going to be targeted by the men? It's going to be women. So when you have that kind of culture, can you have a military that doesn't have this problem? I don't know because I haven't done like a study of the militaries around the globe to see if there's not, if there is a military that doesn't have a rape culture problem in it. Hmm. Um, but talking about our military, there is so much that would have to change, not only in the military, but in our culture. And when Alan talked about uh, going to accountant meetings, you know, conventions, and still having to deal with this 18-year-old, 17-year-old, you know, high school mentality. Because I'm, I'm, you know, Alan, you talked about being a small guy. I'm a, I'm a small guy too. You know, I've been one all my life. So I know as men have dealing with each other, you always having to prove yourself, how physical you are. Can you deal with it? Can you... You know, and you would think, like, I'm 56 now, Alan, you're a number of years older than me. You would think that we wouldn't have to do this anymore, right? Because we're supposed to be grown men. But no, we still have it. And I'm sure it's the same thing with the younger generation as well. You know, so I just wanted to put out there that it, it's like in the military, it's a, a crucible. It's so, it's, it's magnified in the military, right? Um, but the, the seeds of it and the teaching of it happens outside of the military. And, and then they bring it in. And, and um, I think it, it, it's hard to, it might be harder to control, honestly, because of the atmosphere that the military creates. And, and um, as I was reading this um, about it, one of the things that they pointed out is um, people, researchers, I guess, pointed out 
that for a military sexual trauma victim in the military, in many ways, it ends up being a harder situation because many times they can't get away from the person. You know, the, they, they work for the person, they might sleep near the person, they might have to eat near the person, a lot of different things that, that can still happen in the civilian world, right? That does happen. Um, but I think in the military, because everything's so much more personal and close and, and confined, um, and you can't just quit. Right. You know? <laughs> I'm just quitting. You can't do that. Um, and you can't just go to the police. You know, you just can't. It doesn't work like that. So you end up having a whole nother set of pressures um, that many people in the civilian world don't, don't face. So. I would sort of like to repeat, well, sorry, repeat something I said, but the military, although it's clearly demonstrated that people come to the military from the larger society with all of these baggage and that sexual, sexual assault baggage, but the military is actually in a unique position because of its hierarchical nature that it actually could do something about this. And uh, I've had some conversations with Kelly and others it says that if a company commander uh, like the company commander that you referenced earlier decided to start court-martialing and jailing and charging people who are uh, uh, assaulting their fellow soldiers, that would change. It would certainly change in that company. I can't imagine it not. And the other thing is uh, sort of expanding his thing of treason. These commanders that are not doing this, why are they not guilty of treason? You know, they are, that's dereliction of duty. And, you know, all officers and everybody in the military has this oath that they, uh, 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 well, they swear allegiance to the United Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is the military's form of sort of, uh, well, of justice and uh, rules and regulations. But they are failing in their oath as uh, service people. They are failing in their oaths as officers. Military prides itself on this, that we're different from the civilians. It's a big thing. You know, we've all said this, well, it's the civilians. It's sort of that sneer. You get it from lifer officers in particular. But uh, they, uh, they're different from us, but we, uh, we can, we're better on them. We're, we have duty, honor, and country, that sort of thing. We're different from the civilian people. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I don't disagree with any of, of you all saying that possibly they can't, we can control it better in the military because of what you just said, Mike. I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm just questioning the, the United States military is, is very proficient at its job. It kills a lot of people. Okay. So it's not as if, you know, the United States military isn't doing what it is supposed to do when it comes to its job. Okay. So even with all of what we're talking about and the dysfunction is still able to do that. So I'm wondering if, I guess I'm wondering if the, the domination and what it takes to do what our U.S. military do does, if it just doesn't naturally create this problem. I mean, I'm thinking killing, you know, especially the immorality of how, why we're killing, because we're not really killing to protect ourselves. That's a, a, a myth. So I wonder if the immorality of our foreign policy, you know, just the immorality itself creates an atmosphere of immorality that I'm not sure if, if, if it's, unless we become more moral, I guess that's what I'm saying. 
<laughs> if you if you really think about the actions of war, about like the actions of violence, it's really similar to rape. Yeah. And that's what I think is that just war in itself, violence in itself, killing each other, especially with I know that there's even been studies done about this, like killing someone else with a knife mm-hmm. or if you have to touch the other person, they actually call it a sexual killing because it mm-hmm. activates a part of your brain mm-hmm. and it's the it's a sexual intimate part of your brain. But I think it's also old and I wish I would have looked up this study before I got on here, but um, I just think that it, a certain part of the brain does get activated when you're doing violence and that that's the same part of the brain that does rape you know and Mm -hmm. that that war isn't different from rape at all and so i think that if we are going to fix the rape culture we have to fix the war culture um Mm -hmm. which sounds impossible to a lot of people but yeah it is it's about becoming nonviolent, um and finding different ways to work with each other besides invading and killing each other yeah that's kind of what i'm getting at yeah I would, I might add, um, I, I think it's possible. I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I served alongside some of the best human beings, like some, some of the best that our country has to offer. (coughs) And I was able to see firsthand that, you know, some of our service members truly are honorable and moral and very thoughtful people. And it just in terms of war making. So the the violent part, that there can be nuance and we can learn when to turn that on and when to turn that off, Um, right? Like when we go home to our families, we have to turn that part off. We cannot be super soldier and family member at the same time, right? Like we also have, you know, codes of conduct. We have, you know, we try for the most part not to engage in crimes against humanity or war crimes. And, and a lot of, I would say the vast majority of service members do do that and take those laws of war very seriously. Um, so if we can, if we can strategically, like we strategically try to place our military and our violence in very certain places, like we don't just drop bombs willy nilly, like with the Are you sure about that? Well, yeah. well, we do. I, we're we dropping do. bombs on countries yeah. all over the place, and most we of do. the bombs are falling on poor people that don't have anything. Correct. So I don't know about that. Correct. But if we could, well, that might have been, that actually might have been intentional and part of the strategy. But if we can apply strategy to the way we use weapons and tactics, I think if we shift sexual assault out of like a personnel or a, or a human resources problem and shift it into a strategic problem because it's the equivalent of dropping a bomb on our own unit, like on our own people. It, it's a form of friendly fire, like which is something we, tr- we try to avoid. Like I know there's stories that come out like yeah. that all these things do happen, but, but I think for the most part, most service members understand kind of those basics of like, if you're waging a war, you try not to turn the weapons on your own self. And assault is just a version of turning it on your own self. So I think I think we can apply strategy and tactics to it. And I'm optimistic that it that really can make a big difference um, and, and move it out of the realm of 
um, like personality differences or workplace climate, like, and really understand it as, as an act of war against one's own fellow troop and, and begin to shape it more like that. Well, following up that remark about uh, there's some people, Kristen Gillibrand, among others, so she's a U.S. senator, has proposed, and she's actually got legislation pending, to remove the uh, investigation, prosecution of sexual military assaults out of the chain of command. And one of the arguments that the military makes is, is that this would weaken uh, commanders' uh, ability to command. Uh, but Gillibrand and others say that, uh, including most victims of sexual assaults, is you can't get any justice within the military system as it stands now. Often the perpetrators of the uh, uh, sexual assaults are your commanders or somebody in the command structure. So the only way to deal with this in a mechanical sort of way is to get the uh, process for dealing with sexual assaults out of the military command structure. And whether that's in the JAG sort of structure or a, a separate sort of uh, military related or even civilian uh, structure. And that would create a lot more accountability too, um, mm -hmm. for sure. It would probably also give a lot more people um, what they need to be able to report the assaults because I think that's the thing is there's so many that get reported, but I bet there's three times as many that don't get reported, you know, and people are afraid to report them because like you said, it's, you're working, it's the person you're working for. You don't, you know, or their boss that you're reporting it to. So you're, you're not safe trying to report something up the chain of command often. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I, I'm not, I do think obviously we need to continue to try to reform or change or whatever it is going to, we need to do to protect people. I'm just not real. I'm not as optimistic as you, Kelly, um, for a number of reasons. One is because it's been a problem for a long time. Um, so it's not like, you know, we just found out about it and now we're trying to figure out how to change it, similar to the police. 56 years, like again, I'm 56 years old. And when I was a kid, my grandmother uh, screamed, said in the household one day, the bull is outside. So I run and go look and I'm looking for a bull, but it's a police car, you know? So the bull is not a way that you, something that's friendly. So my grandmother didn't see the police as, as friendly, somebody you want in, you know, in your neighborhood. And here it is, maybe I was four years old. So it's 52 years later. And we're, we still have that same problem. And I feel like the military similarly. Um, so I don't know if it's possible to have a force that dominates people and that it also doesn't abuse its own, its own people. You know, because you're abusing people. You know, so you have to create a culture of abuse. You, you have to, because you, you have to, I have to see some human being as beyond redemption and the only thing that can be done is to kill this this group of people because they ain't never done nothing to me there's not when i went to iraq i didn't know none of those iraqis that we were attacking right and none of them had done anything to me personally but yet i was part of a force that was killing them right so i don't know if it's com a compatible thing now we might be able to diminish it to a certain point you know and then another thing with this is just like the police bad apples, well, why are you not kicking them out since so, so many of y'all so good? 
you know, so why are you not kicking out the bad ones? So we got the same thing in the military. And I know there's good people in the military. Look at all of you all. Y'all came out of there and all you are good people. And I think I'm pretty good. So I know, <laughs> I know that we have good people in the military. But at the same time, we got all this stuff happening, you know, so I don't know. But we got to keep trying. So that's for sure. I, I agree with that. Well, you know, they, they, they call it the, uh, the military is called the armed forces. And as Michael mentioned, our job, the military's job is, is uh, shooting people and killing people and blowing stuff up. That's their job. That was our job. And people who are in the military, if you're actually not pulling a trigger, you're directly supporting somebody who is pulling a trigger. That's the, that's the job of war. You know, Kelly, I don't know if we got enough time to do this now, but, you know, the idea of sort of a, a just war, uh, some of the major uh, Christian, Christian institutions have said there is no such thing which goes to the sort of thing about the military and war and says, you know, <clears throat> somebody else has said, he says, if you're joining the military, you're basically, you've got a good chance of becoming a war criminal or a thug. Uh, it's just sort of built in. It's an occupational hazard. Yeah. Well, we have about, about two minutes left. So if each person wants to um, just close out with something you feel like is important for the audience, then, then we'll close out the show. Go ahead, Al. Yeah, go ahead. You got some closing uh, comments? You got no, any no. Yours are done? Yeah. Aurora. Oh, closing comments. Uh, let's just try to try. I think something that can help is um, really treating each other more equally and viewing each other more equally. And, um, and it is, it's like what Michael said, there's a precedence of energy that was set with colonialism and all these things that happened when the country was formed and our military comes from that. And we have to really think about that, the root of the problem, like where, where did all this start? Um, and we might not ever find that, but like, um, but I think that that is important to reckon, recognize the precedence of energy that was set with slavery, with the genocide of the Native Americans, with our military being part of that and then you know so on and so forth so if we're going to change this we do have to change the whole culture and i think you know it's not an easy task and um i'm here for it though that's what i can say like i uh, i know that i'm here for it i know there's a lot of youth that are here for it these days too so i do have hope in that that we can eventually change the culture and that's what i that's all i can say <laughs> Kelly? I just want to say it was so good to be in the company of everyone here who has been so honest and willing to share their stories and to really talk about this from a, from a pretty straightforward um, point of view and, and, and to connect the dots between individual stories. Like it's more than just a collection of individual stories. This is a whole that connect the dots that there is, there are some systemic issues and questions and and those levers you know kind of if we pull some of them might really be able to make some significant difference like moving the some of this reporting outside of the chain of command and i support it, I, it the 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 commands that aren't having a lot of problems really then won't have to access this this particular program but but the ones that are then you know hopefully they can get the outside help that's really going to help the unit. Um, so I'm all for it. Well, thank you all for uh, speaking on our program, Military Sexual Trauma and uh, 
Again, this is on broadcast. This will be archived on KODX 96.9 FM radio and also on a, via Veterans for Peace Chapter 92 website. All of our programs are archived there also. Yeah, so, and um, on KD, excuse me, KODX 96.9, our show airs every fourth Wednesday of the month from 6 to 7 p.m. Okay. All righty. Well, thank, thank you, you all. Thank you. That's the end of the show. But before we go, let me give credit where credit is due. Our theme music is Untouchable from The Passion Hi-Fi. You can find his music at thepassionhi-fi.com. That's Passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, Hi-Fi, H-I-F-I.com. Thanks to Alan, Aurora, and Kelly for talking to us this week and sharing their knowledge. Tune in next time. We air every fourth Wednesday of the month, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Time on KODX 96.9 in Seattle. Or listen to a live stream at KODXSeattle.org. So, until then, stay in the struggle. Power to the peaceful.